We're going to finish up our series this morning on truth. We've been doing, this is actually the sixth part. We took one week off uh, and preached on Mother's Day, back on Mother's Day. But uh, this is our sixth and final part. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8. I'll give you just a moment to find it. One of the very last prophecies in the Old Testament. Zechariah 8, we're going to start reading it, 18 and 19. And the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore love the truth and peace. Now, he's, God is telling the Israelites, he's speaking through Zechariah about a restoration of Israel that was to come, where they're going to be restored. And most, most prophets, uh, most Bible uh, scholars believe it's pointing to the millennium. I, I agree with that, that it's going to be pointing to a future restoration of Israel. And then where Jesus Christ himself is going to set up his kingdom in the millennial reign in Jerusalem. And he's telling, telling the house of Israel that these fasts that you've been doing, the fourth and the fifth and the seventh month and so forth, they're going to really be joy. They're going to have meaning to them. They're going to be the real deal. They're not just going to be uh, things that you do as a burden almost. You're going you're to do them, and it's going to be joy and gladness and cheerful feast. Therefore, God says, love the truth. Love the truth. I thought this would be a great way, an appropriate way to end our series on truth on, and ha on having a love for the truth. That God's people are to love the truth. He says, therefore, love the truth and peace. And the righteous redeemed of the Lord are to love the truth. We are to rejoice in the truth. Knowing and being in the truth is to be a great joy for God's people. That is to be a joy for us. To know things around us are chaotic. Things around us are dark. This person over here is lying. This, you know, whatever's going on, this is deception over here. But to know that I'm in the truth, regardless of how, how difficult the circumstances and the environment may be, to know that we're in the truth is a great joy and a peace to, to the people of God. And he says to love the truth and love peace. And the Lord speaks, and you don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah, he's, the Lord says that a highway shall be there in a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but the redeemed shall walk therein. It is a place for, for God and, and uh, for God's people, and it's a joy to be on that highway. Amen. It's a highway of holiness. It's a highway where we're redeemed. It's an, under the blood of Jesus. We have the gift of eternal life. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we're walking in the ways of God, and it's a joy to be in that. And as God's people, y'all, there's something that we need to, and it kind of goes with the Sunday school lesson this morning about being holy and separated unto the Lord. We are to love the things that God loves. You know that? It's not like, well, God loved this, but I kind of like this. Uh, the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the world's going to pass away. If any man lo has the, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if I'm constantly having this attraction, we all have temptations. I'm not talking about that. But if I'm constantly, my heart is set on worldly things, then he says the love of the Father is not in him. And so 
we are to love the things that God loves, and it goes along with that as well. We're to hate the things that God hates. Say, well, God loves everyone. He does love everyone, but he hates sin. He hates it. The Bible tells us things that he abhors. You know, there are things that he hates and lying and deceit and think gossip and murmuring. He, he despises these things. I just want to read this from Isaiah as well. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth. God loves righteous judgments. And as the Lord works in your life, again, it goes with Sunday school, the Sunday school lesson so perfectly. As the Lord works in the lives of those that he has redeemed, he does it by his grace. He does it by the Holy Ghost. He does it patiently. He does it over time. But what he begins to do, one of the things we notice in our own lives, he begins to change our affections. What do I mean by that? Not only do I not curse anymore, I don't want to curse anymore. My heart has changed towards that. You see what I'm saying? Not only do I not watch uh, filthy or ungodly movies, I don't have a desire to watch filthy or ungodly movies anymore. That is a miracle. I say it all the time. It's as big a miracle as part in the Red Sea. For a man's heart to be changed and him to love what he didn't used to love, what he should love, amen, and to hate what we used to love, that inwardly, not just that we refrain ourselves from those things, but that God changes our hearts and desires. That is a miracle. It is a work of the Lord. Amen. And I'll say this, if it's not the reality in our own lives, if we do not see, not that we're perfected yet, but if we do not say, see a perfecting taking place, if we don't see some real work of God inwardly in our hearts to that extent, changing our affections and desires, then we really need to get before the Lord and say, do I know Christ? Do I really know him or am I just going to church? Is it just that my parents know Christ? Do I I really know the Lord? Because that is a characteristic and a working of the Holy Spirit in everyone that he's redeemed. We begin to love what he loves and hates what he hates. So he conforms us. And the Lord loves truth. We're doing a series on truth. The Lord loves the truth. Amen. He loves justice and right judgment, and he loves peace and equity. And, and if we're his children, we're going to love the same. I want to read this, what David said in Psalm 119. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Now, through the word of God, through your teachings, through the word that he had at that time, and through the law that was given him. Through thy precepts I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. We're talking about truth, and we're talking about false. There's not really an in-between. There's truth and there's false. There's what's of God and there's what's not of God. Amen. Some things may look gray and we can't quite tell, but God's not confused about it. We talked about the, the comforter last week, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into all truth. Praise God. We can stay filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not confused. Is this Jesus or not? He's not confused about it. Is this movement? Is this revival real or is it false? The Holy Ghost is not confused about it. Amen. If we'll be led by the Lord and by the word of God, he will lead us. But David says, I'm taught by your word, and I hate every false way. There was a French uh, physicist and mathematician back in the 1600s named Blaise Pascal. Y'all probably heard of him. He is known to be a believer. But he made this quote. He said, truth is so obscure, obscured nowadays, though it lies well established, that unless we love the truth, we shall never recognize it. And he's talking about 
the truth is out there and the truth is established and the truth is not con- the truth itself is not confused and it's not damaged or hurt by the lies the truth still remains the truth amen but unless we love the truth we're not going to recognize it he says i agree with that i think there's very much something to be said for having a love for the truth and one of, one of the wonderful things about knowing christ and serving the one true living god is the joy and comfort we have in resting in him there's a resting there's a resting in the truth that is very needful it's very much a blessing just to Yes, there's chaos going around, on around me. Yes, there's deception. There's spiritual deception. There's seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we have to be on guard of that. Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. But there is a joy and peace in knowing I can rest in the truth. It's going on around me, but I don't have to fall for it. I don't have to believe it. I need to stay close to the Lord. Amen? I want to hear the voice of my good shepherd. I want to be led by the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, into all truth. And he is going to lead us primarily, I say it all the time, by the Bible, by the Word of God. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. Warm, fuzzy feelings can lead us astray. It has to be the Lord, the Holy Ghost, that glorifies Jesus Christ according to the Word of God. Amen? And so um, it's a comfort and a joy to rest in the truth. His kingdom is established in righteousness and truth. We're to love that, amen, that we're to love that about our God, that his kingdom is established in righteousness and truth. Psalm 19 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, amen? And so we can rest in that. We can rest and be confident in the goodness of our God. We're not on shaky ground. We're not on, what, oh, no, what if, what if I believe this and it turns out not to be true? Uh, what, if, what if God misses something or misjudges something and I should have been in heaven and he sends me to hell or something like we don't have to worry about that God's judgment is perfect his whole kingdom is established in righteousness and truth and his whole church is built upon that profession where where of faith when the Lord said to, to Peter who do you say that I am thou art the Christ the son of the living God blessed art thou Simon of Jonah son of Jonah for flesh and blood is not revealed to this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. And upon that rock, not Peter, upon that rock, that profession of his faith, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It stands firm. The Lord, his kingdom, his truth, his righteousness stands firm. And we're part of that. Amen? We're part of that kingdom. The Lord says, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Have you ever thought sometimes, well, people have said these things about me, even within the church, they've gossiped, they've slandered me, and a lot of people believed it, and, you know, nobody, who's ever going to set it straight? You know what I mean? Who's ever going to set it straight? We can't go back and patch all those things that are behind us. We don't even know all the things maybe that have been spoken about us. We have to leave that to God. But Jesus, the Bible says he did, when he was reviled, he didn't revile again, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, Jesus said, I just put it on. They were blaspheming Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. Did he fight back and say, I'll show you, you know. He just, he, he committed himself 
to the, the Father's judgment into his hands. Into thy hands I commend, commit my spirit. He prayed and he died. The Lord's going to set it all straight. His kingdom is established in truth and righteousness. And he loves righteous judgment. He loves it. Amen. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. He's going to show it. Live for God. When nobody sees I'm living for God. They think I'm doing this. They think I'm that. They think I'm whatever. Then I'm stirring up trouble in the church. Live for God. The Lord's going to take it. And in the end, it will all be crystal clear. Who was of God? Who wasn't of God? What was right? What was wrong? He'll set it all straight. And he won't be confused about it at all. God is not perverted in his judgment. He doesn't pervert judgment. He can't be bought off with a bribe. He's going to judge righteous judgment. Amen. All the time. He's perfectly just and he's perfectly correct in his judgments and he's perfectly merciful. Hallelujah. All the time when he judges. There's no shadow of turning in him. He never, as I said, twists judgment or perverts it. Amen. And so think about this for just a moment. The biggest end or of all is going to be heaven or hell for every individual person. That is established in perfect justice and judgment. Every single person that goes to heaven is supposed to be there. Every single person that is in hell, Jesus died for them too, loved them, tried to bring them to himself, came to seek and save their souls, but they rejected Christ. Every single person that is there is supposed to be there in the sense of the judgment was correct. Amen. Jesus said in John where he was talking to Nicodemus and said, God so loved the world and so forth. He gave his only begotten son. Then he says right after that, uh, he that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth in verse 18 is not condemned. Period. That condemned has to do with a legal term. The judge says you're not condemned. I'm rendering you innocent and just. Even though we're guilty of sin by the blood of Jesus and because we're robed in the righteousness of Christ, the Father sees us because we put our faith in Jesus. It's imputed to us as righteousness. And he rightly slams the gavel down and says just, innocent, clean, forgiven, right? He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has believed not in the name of the only begotten, begotten Son of God. And so there's, there's this clear division. All those who have solely and wholly trusted in Christ as Redeemer, the Bible, Jesus said in John chapter 5, we're passed from death to life. It's already happened. It's already taken place. We've already received the gift of eternal life. We're still living in these frail bodies that will one day be changed. When we die, we'll go to heaven and be with the Lord if we're not raptured before then. But we've passed from death to life. We're in Christ and we're in the truth. If so be, Paul says in Ephesians, that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. I want to take just a moment. We're living in a day and age where, where the God of this world is, is deceiving and he's very effective at it and he's I would say more and more of the world is going his way. Now, it's temporary, but more of the world is falling in line with the, the lie, okay? And the world is going that way. And some would say, just to muddy the waters even more about truth and false and dark and light, 
they would say, well, there, you know, you can find some truth in all of the world's great religions. Have, have you ever heard a comment like that? A statement like that. You know, we need to be open-minded. You can find some nuggets of truth in all of the world's great religions. I'm going to ask you, is that true? What does the Bible say? Did, do you ever see the Lord in the Old Testament telling the Israelites, you know, when you get into the promised land, uh, you need to learn a few things about Baal and Ashtaroth and how those people worshiped. What did he say to them? He said, you destroy them destroy their idols. Don't let their names of their idols be mentioned on your lips because it's a lie. It's an abomination. In the very end, but when the Lord allowed Israel to be taken for 70 years captivity into Babylon, the reason was that they turned their backs on the Lord and had intermarried and forsaken the covenant they had made with him. And they didn't only serve the Lord, him only, and love him only. They were they were worshiping under every grove, every, every green tree. They were worshiping uh, Baal and these different gods. Do you ever see in the New Testament, this age of grace, do you ever see uh, the Lord or Paul telling the Ephesians, no, you need to go back to the, the temple of Diana, Diana of the Ephesians, right? You need to learn some, some of those truths. They've got some good nuggets of truth there that you need to learn. I know that I'm that this is almost sounds ridiculous, but that's that's the thinking. This is all the world's great religions have a nugget of truth, and we need to learn from them. No, Jesus Christ is the truth, as the truth is in Jesus. The Bible says, "All that believe him, in him are not condemned." All that believe him not as being the only and solely and holy Savior of the world. And besides me, there is no other. He says that in Isaiah. I am the Savior, and besides me, there is no other. There's not another one. There's not other truth. Satan wants men to believe that, and he'll just keep them in confusion and in darkness. But when we come to the truth, we're free from all of that. But all those that end up in hell will be those that believe not the truth, we talked about it a few weeks ago, and, and the Bible says to them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That to me is one of the saddest, heartbreaking scriptures in the Bible. These people, when the rapture takes place, are going to be sent a delusion by God, and they will believe the lie that Antichrist is Christ. They'll believe that. And they'll all be damned. Say, well, that's not fair. No, he, the point is that he reached out to them. The Lord did everything to bring them to himself. They received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They, it wasn't that they didn't have the truth or weren't presented with the truth or confronted with the truth. It's that they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. The Bible says God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That doesn't bring him any joy, okay? That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Two times. Receive not the love of the truth and believe not the truth. But they had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so these people will spend eternity in hell. I say eternity in hell. They'll go to hell when they die. And at the end of the millennium, they will be raised, so to speak. And at the great white throne judgment, they will be received their final sentencing to the lake of fire. This is the second death. We have the second birth, the new birth. We're born again. This will be their second death. They go from hell to the lake of fire forever. 
Amen? And they didn't have to. That's the, that's the heartbreaking part of it all. The truth, y'all, the truth cuts and divides and separates very clearly and distinctly from what is not true. The truth cuts and divides, and it's supposed to, and exposes and clarifies and identifies truth, and in the same manner it exposes what's a lie. It does that. The truth does that. If Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me, and another religion says, uh, Baal is the Savior, uh, Muhammad is the chief prophet of Allah, and he, he's, if you hear another thing contrary to this, if, if he says in his word, Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, and he speaks it in his word, it cuts, cuts and it only exposes and clarifies what's true, it exposes and clarifies what's a lie. And there's not that in-between. Amen? Satan deals with the in-betweens. He's very good at it. Usually, he doesn't just come straight out and say, I'm Satan, I'm God, follow me. He brings a seed of doubt like he did to Eve in the garden. He questions the things of God. He takes what's a fact from the Lord and he puts it over here in the question mark area where it's up for debate, like the progressive Christianity of this day. It's all on the table all the Bibles on the table, and there's no sacred cows, they say. It's all up there for debate. Well, then you're left with a religion of your own choosing. By the time you're finished deciding what you want to believe and what you like from the Bible, then you've got something totally perverted and not the truth at all. But the truth clarifies it, amen? Satan deals in lies and half-truths, but the, lie, the word of God separates from that. The truth separates from that just as distinctly as the light separates from the darkness. I know I say it all the time, but in Genesis 1, first thing when you open your Bible, in the, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and what was upon the face of the earth? Darkness. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be what? Light. First thing. Must have been something to be there. To see what that was like. Darkness was upon, upon all of creation. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated, he said, the light from the darkness. And it's still separating truth and error. Truth and a lie. Okay. Truth provides a shelter or a fortress against the false. It, it's a safety. This is one reason we love the truth. I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be perfect. I don't claim to have the most perfect, absolute perfect knowledge of every scripture or anything like that. But I do know I'm in the truth. And I'm happy to be in the truth. And it protects me from all the, that's false around me. And there's much that's false around you and me. Okay? That's another one to think, wonderful thing that's going to be wonderful about heaven is there won't be any of that. There won't be any of that. There won't be fight and deception. I wonder if I swallowed a lie or made a bad investment or whatever, you know, somebody tricked me. Um, I want to read this from Revelation. We're talking about this distinction and how it separates. In, in Revelation 22, it's the last chapter in the whole Bible. Already been the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennial reign of Christ, great white throne judgment. Then what happens? A new Jerusalem comes down as a bride adorned for her husband. And it's 1,500 square miles cubed. That's how the Bible describes it, with these different layers and it, with different uh, precious stones. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. 
Wherein dwelleth, Peter says, righteousness. Who lives there? The righteous. And I want to read this. Blessed are they, this is Revelation 22, 14 and 15. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in. Remember how the truth divides and separates and also provides a protection and a wall? Those that have the commandments of the Lord and do his commandments have the right to eat of the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into that city that we described. It's a heavenly city. We have the right because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? For what's without, what's outside of that city? What has no right to that city? What will never enter into that city? For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. That's who's outside of there. That's who'll never be part of it. They'll never be enter into that at all. It's comforting to me. I sin. I have to ask God to forgive me. I, I'll, I'll make a mistake. God will correct me. He teaches me. He grows, grows us, and we move on, and we keep moving upward and onward in Christ. But when we get there, all of that, it's all going to just be settled. It's going to be settled. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be glorious. Amen. Nobody without are going to be the idolaters outside of that city have no right to come in there and will not ever set one toe inside that city or those who love and make a lie. They're not going to be there. Just the truth. Just Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I want to, I want to move on. How, how does an individual, we're in Christ, how do we love the truth? In other words, how is it evidence? What's some practical ways that we love the truth, amen, besides just saying it or putting a poster up or something like that. How is it displayed? The Bible says of agape love, which is God's love, love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Love, the true love of God rejoices in the truth. And so as children of God, I believe this is how we love the truth. We have a genuine love for the things of God. This is nothing that deep and mysterious. But we have a genuine love for the things of God. We have a genuine love for his word. We have a love for his ways. I want to be with the Lord. I want to be walking in his ways. Jesus said, wherever the master is, there will my servant be. There will my disciple be. If the Lord's here and walking in this way, we're going to be right tucked up under his arm. Amen walking where he's walking we love that we love to be with him we love his ways we love his presence are you able to discern the presence of the lord when you come to the house of god and we're with the people of god do we discern that if you walked into a bar room would you discern the presence of the lord i know he'll never leave you nor forsake you but would you discern his presence in that place no you wouldn't you would not we we love his presence we love his people we love his promises and we walk in them we love his blessings we love serving him we love him amen we love him we love being with him we love pleasing him we love for the lord to be glorified in the earth we love for the lord to be glorified in our own lives when i sin against the lord and i'll go to the lord he will forgive me but he's not glorified in that sin you understand what i'm saying i love when he's we are to love, we love the truth, we love when he is glorified on the earth, and we love when he's glorified through our 
our lives. We love gathering with the people of God. We love when falsehood and lies are exposed and uncovered. We love that. We love when the Lord takes what's been hidden and it was false and people believed it is true and at some point he flips it upside down, shines the, the bright light on it and said, this, was a, this is a lie. And these are my righteous servants over here. And this doctrine is false. And this gossip that was spread is just that. It's gossip and it's not true. We love when the Lord exposes the false and, and sets things straight. Amen. When he exposes it and he uproots it. And we love when the truth is established. Again, this is going to be our blessed future that we have with the Lord. We love telling others who don't know the Lord and aren't in the truth. We love telling them about a Savior who is the way, the truth, and the life. We love doing that. We might be a little shy, a little bashful, whatever, but we love being used by the Lord to tell others about Christ and that they too can come out of that darkness into his light. Amen? And the last, one of the last things I'm going to talk about this morning, I'm going to spend a few minutes. We, those who love the truth are going to boldly, boldly proclaim the truth. Now, the boldness comes from the Lord, amen? And the bold, boldness comes by the Holy Spirit, but it does come, amen? But we love proclaiming the truth. And we know this scripture from Ephesians 4. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him and all things, which is the head, even Christ. Both of those are so important, speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. It's not enough just to say correct things that are biblically correct without a love for God and a love for the individual we're speaking to. It's also not enough to just speak what we think is love, but not speak the truth to them. We have to speak the truth. We speak it in love. Does that mean that we'll be accepted or that our words or his words will be accepted by all the hearers? No, it does not. It does mean that that's my responsibility, though. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up in Christ. Amen? We speak it to other people, and, and we love it. We're so fully, I guess you would say, sold out to the Lord, purchased by his blood, so surrendered to the Lord. Our eyes have been opened to the truth, and we don't want anything else. You're not going to be satisfied with a lie. You wouldn't be satisfied if I got up here and preached a lie. Okay, and you wouldn't want it. You would reject it. If I preached a half truth, you wouldn't want it. You would reject it. Our eyes have been opened. I'm in the truth now. I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm not fooled by that. And so we're happy to be in the truth, and we're happy to have Christ, and nothing and no one else is going to satisfy. Don't give me a lie. Don't give me a half truth. Amen. We're not indifferent to the things of God, we're not apathetic, we're not casual Christians. We're born of his spirit. We're eternally justified and forgiven. We love the Lord and we love the truth. Amen. And we wouldn't exchange it for anything. We wouldn't exchange it for anything. We love his word because his word is truth. And it testifies of Christ. Amen. It testifies of Christ. I want to give uh, some real life examples here and bringing this to a close. God's people are going to defend the truth is the last real thought. If we love the Lord and we love the truth, we're going to defend the truth. If you love your spouse, 
you love your children, you're going to defend them. Physically, you're going to try to protect them. You're going to try to guard their reputation. You're going to do what you can do. But nobody has to tell you to do that. You know what I mean? You're going to defend them. And you're going to be the first one, and you should be the first one out there to try to defend them. If we love the truth, we are going to defend the truth. So what's an evidence that I really love the truth? That we're to earnestly to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I'm to earnestly fight for that. Don't just say, well, there's errors, there's errors, there's always going to be errors. And one sense that's true. But where you can do something about it, like if there's an error taught here, okay, or somebody says something false in your workplace, they take the word of God and they twist it and they pervert it. And they say, no, there's many, uh, Jesus said there's many ways to heaven. You know, you, you defend the truth. You say, no, that's not what the Bible says. Well, the Bible's a fallible book just written by fallible men, and they did their best, but they had a lot of errors and mistakes. You step up. You have a, not that you're going to get in a fist fight, okay, but you tell them the truth as much as they will listen out of your mouth. No, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, all of it. It is profitable for the man of God, amen, to be, to be mature in Christ. And so it's all given it, by the Lord. In 1517, okay, 500 years ago, this is over in England, in Little Park and Coventry, five men and two women were tried for heresy. Their charge that they were charged with, five men and two women, their charge was teaching their children the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments in English, which was their language. This was a time of great persecution for the church. They were found guilty, and they were burned at the stake in the public square. At any point in that, those seven people could have said the right thing, so to speak, that their accusers wanted them to say and been let go. But they didn't. Why did they do that? Well, obviously, they loved the Lord. Obviously, they were born of His Spirit. Obviously, they had the courage and the boldness from God to go through with that, which I believe he'll provide for everyone at that moment, okay? But also, they had a love for the truth. They taught their children the word of God in English. John Wycliffe in the 1400s uh, was one of the first that really at that time was trying to produce the scriptures in English. It was only in Latin. The Catholic Church was in in, in control of everything. And so for a man or a woman or a young person to, to, to know about the Lord, for the most part, they had to go through the Catholic Church to be taught because they, the common person didn't speak Latin. The, the scriptures were only in Latin. So here's a man like John Wycliffe, who's a true believer. He had followers called the Lollards. There was another man named John Huss who was preaching the truth at this time. They're persecuted. They're persecuted, but they loved the truth. I'm going to close with William Tyndale. Have you heard of William Tyndale? When William Tyndale sought to, to translate the scriptures into English so that everybody could read it and, and then to have it printed. The Gutenberg printing press, God had organi uh, ordained for that thing to be invented by that time. And so William Tyndale uh, is, is commanded by one of the Pope's 
priest and one of his men, you stop what you're doing right now. Just shut it down. Stop doing it. And, and he responded. This is Tyndale's response to the Pope's man. I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare me ere many years, I will cause the boy who drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. He had love for the truth. He wanted people to know this life's going to pass. We know it from the Bible. It's going to pass. So what if I die for the Lord? Hallelujah. You understand what I'm saying? But we have a love for the truth. This is, this is just the Lord. By 1525, the New Testament, Tyndale had finished translating it and printed it in English. He finished it. And thousands of copies started flooding into London. That's where they first met at the port. They smuggled them in bales of cloth. They smuggled them in uh, bags of flour. Yeah, it was called the Forbidden Book. The Forbidden Book. Nobody by the Catholic Church. Nobody should have this. But this man had a love for the truth. Ten years later, he was charged with heresy, strangled a year later, and then burned at the stake in 1536. Ask him now if you think, William, was it worth it? Yes, sir. It was worth it. You have a love for the truth. A love for the truth. A love for the things of God. His love for the Lord and his love for the word drove him to produce this Bible. And it literally changed the course of history. Do you all realize that? I don't think we think about it. We're just thinking, you know, a cell phone changed the, the course of history or a computer or whatever. Uh, the Bible in the common language of people to where anybody could read it and doesn't have to go through a hierarchy system to, to come to know the Lord literally changed the course of history, changed it completely. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son, therefore, have made you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm closing with two verses. You can turn with me to 1 Timothy. So here's Paul, the Apostle Paul. We've been doing a study on his life and on the life, his letter to the Philippians on Wednesday nights. Talked a lot about his life. This is the last chapter, the last epistle that he wrote before he was martyred for the Lord. It says he's talking to Timothy, okay? He's writing to Timothy. Do thy diligence in verse 9. First, 2 Timothy 4 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He wanted to see Timothy before he died. He knew the time of his departure was at hand. He had already said that. And look, skip down to verse 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially what? The parchments. When you come, this is the last thing you ask for, really. Bring the parchments, almost every Bible scholar, that was the Bible, that was the scriptures. That's the word of God that he had that was written by the time he's about to die in prison. When you come, especially of all things, I want that coat, I want those other books, but especially bring the parchments. It a love for the Lord, a love for the word of God. I just pray that God would give us 
such a love for his word. Amen. Amen. Y'all stand with me.